Do you want a bunch of refugees resettled into your neighborhood? Probably not. And now, because of Trump, you will actually have a say. That's the way it should be. You should be allowed to decide whether you want people who know nothing of your way of life coming into your neighborhood and altering it. Refugee resettlement is their way of transforming your community without you having a choice, and Trump is vowing to put an end to it. That, along with aiming to end catch and release, is why the administration is actually making a number of immigration announcements that has me actually totally pumped to reelect Trump in 2020. Trump knows that if he's going to win in 2020, he's got to fix the border, which it appears he is doing. Quick message from our sponsor, though, because in order to escape the scourge of refugees and illegal immigrants in American cities, you have to make a lot of money. So that's what we're going to do. Today, it is ExpressVPN. We all know that search engines and social media are far from unbiased platforms that don't choose a side politically, like big surprise. In 2016, the big tech elites at Google bragged about donating millions of dollars to Hillary Clinton. These big tech companies that push their political agenda and restrict the rights of free speech and the conservatives' right to say what they want are the very same corporations that we're trusting to handle all of our personal data. These companies, they see every single thing you do online. They see every single thing you search for, everything you click on, and how much time you spend looking at things. And I don't want them using my web history, my email metadata, or video searches against me. I don't know about you. So that is why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN, when I go online, it encrypts 100% of my data to keep me safe from hackers and internet lurkers who want my information. And it's super easy to get. It just takes a minute to set up on your computer or your phone. You tap one button and you're protected. So if you're like me and believe that your internet data belongs to you and not the tech elites, then ExpressVPN is the answer. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash WH. That is ExpressVPN slash WHB. Three months free with a one-year package. ExpressVPN.com slash WHB. Okay, so new numbers are out highlighting just how much of a problem illegal immigration is. In 2018, 64% of all federal arrests were of non-U.S. citizens, while non-U.S. citizens only make up 7% of the population. Although, I mean, that's to be debated. They make up 7% of the population, but they make up 24% of all federal drug arrests. They make up 25% of all federal property arrests and 28% of all federal fraud arrests. And Mexican citizens' share of federal arrests is at 40%. And in fact, the number of federal arrests of Mexican citizens exceeded the number of federal arrests of U.S. citizens in 2018. So, I mean, to say it's a bit of a problem is the biggest understatement of the year. It's a bigger understatement than saying Joe Biden is, fit to, is not fit to run for president. You know, the guy is a total dotard who belongs in a home or in a padded room. Anyway, the Trump administration is tackling immigration in a number of ways that has me pretty optimistic. They have a draft proposal that would make it so that the federal government will resettle refugees only where both the relevant state and local governments have consented to participate in the resettlement program. As Daniel Horowitz at CR explains, refugee resettlement is a more destructive form of social transformation for local communities than any other form of immigration. Because unlike other categories of immigration, refugees, by definition, do not go through the organic process of becoming immigrants. 
They are brought over and resettled, often in large numbers, concentrated in specific localities with no acclimation to American culture or the ability to support themselves. So then, like, poof, magic, your community is transformed into a terrible hellhole. And it's, ne it's never the communities of the wealthy elites. It's never Bel Air. It's never the Upper East Side. No, it's, it's Minneapolis. It's Lewiston, Maine. And because of refugee resettlement, they become unrecognizable. And the citizens there wonder, what happened to my city? Because they didn't make any of the decisions. They didn't approve of this. No, the decision was made by a bunch of unelected globalist of officials. The people, and not even the states, were able to have a say about it. So this decision by Trump would allow communities to make this decision for themselves. And that's the right thing to do. Trump is also aiming to end catch and release. You know, you catch them and then you let them go. So the catch and release thing, it all boils down to the Flores settlement, which is basically what makes it impossible to adequately punish families who illegally cross the border because it says you can only detain them for 20 days and then you are required to release them. The problem is, the problem with Flores is, it's not a constitutional provision. It's not even a statute. It's not even a court ruling. It is a settlement, and it was only meant to be temporary. And so the Trump administration, they have every right to use their power to modify that settlement and end catch and release. And as a result, the media and Democrats, politicians on the left, predictably and boringly are pretending to be appalled by this decision by, from the Trump administration. So let's just be clear about this, Jim. This regulation doesn't just close a loophole. It literally mm -hmm. blows up the standards that the government has abided by for the past 20 years. So the goal here is to be able to establish internment camps. Yep, you guess internment camps. Yeah, buddy. Try detainment for people who have broken the law. Try detainment for people who have tried to invade the country. That's not internment camps. That's called justice. So Trump completely has the power to implement this new regulation. It is a law that requires that the people who broke the law be detained. And unlike with the Flores settlement, there would not be a time constraint and adults with children are not going to be exempt from these rules. So this is what drives people to come. Right. The floor settlement is what drives illegal immigrants to come because they hear, oh, if I come to America with a child, I'm going to be set free within a matter of days. Well, once that's no longer the case, they won't come and it will deter a lot of people from invading our country. This will put an end to it. Put these policies in place and it will be a significant step toward solving our border crisis. Additionally, the administration has ended granting work permits to fake asylees. So all of these are important steps. Ideally, and we've said this time and time again, ideally Trump would close the border, which he seems reluctant to do. But ending the catch and release loophole, putting in place steps to make sure that communities cannot be destroyed due to a form of legal immigration, refugee resettlement that they never agreed to, that all will surely help keep our country safe from both the cultural and physical invasion we are experiencing now. So this entire week, I'm hearing how Trump is an anti-Semite, how Trump hates Jews, and I'm really not sure what they're talking about. I really never am. So here to break it all down with me is Ariel Davidson. She's a senior contributor with The Federalist, and she spent her entire summer in Israel. So I think she might have a little bit more firsthand experience on this subject than the clowns on Twitter having phony breakdowns. Ariel, great to be with you. Thank you for having me. The reasons they're calling him an anti-Semite is, uh, we'll get into the fact that he said that uh, any Democrat who votes, or any Jewish person who votes for Democrat is disloyal. 
Um, and that's getting him into a lot of trouble. Right. So he used terminology that carries deep and heavy and dark history for the Jewish people, the word disloyal. So I think he definitely was incorrect using that term. Um, but like you and I spoke about briefly earlier, there is some serious issues on the left in terms of anti-Semitism. We're not just seeing a rise of anti-Israel sentiment. We're seeing a rise of anti-Semitism. And it's deeply, deeply troubling. It's not just in the American left. It's also in the British left as well. The Corbynization of the UK Labour Party, I think that's also happening here with the American Democrats. And so that I do think... Um, it's a very reasonable question to ask, and David Harsani at The Federalist pointed this out recently in an article. It's a very reasonable question to ask to say, look, you know, if you're seeing this rise of anti-Semitism amongst the Democrats, Jewish voters are probably feeling very uncomfortable and confused. And I think that was the point that Trump was trying to make. But I don't think he made it very eloquently whatsoever. Which is just, sometimes the case with Trump, yes, you know. <laughs> the case with Trump, absolutely. But I do think that there is this, you know, there's sort of this ideological confusion that's probably taking place because, you know, Jews are like other demographics. They have variety of opinions. They vote in different ways. Now, I they, do, they do, but most yes, Jews yes, vote Democrat. They do. And Why I was going to say. I don't have an answer for that. I think, um, you know, it could depend on location if there are more urban areas. It could depend on, you know, if cultural values within the Jewish community align more with the Democratic Party. I can't really say. Right. But what I will say is that looking at the anti-Semitism that the left is not only brushing under the rug, but elevating, coddling. I mean, look at the Women's March, right? right. right? You had leaders of the Women's March canoodling and cavorting with Farrakhan, who's a noted Anti-Semite, who said that Jews are termites. Yes. Compared them to termites. You've got uh, Linda Sarsour with the Women's March. And then you have the squad. You have Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, who are out there basically openly making anti-Semitic comments. They're going to Israel. They weren't going on the the delegation, the Congress delegation. They decided to go on their own trip, which was sponsored by a group that was that, that that. Am I right in saying this? That worked with terrorist organizations or terrorist supporting organizations? So they supported Palestinian terrorism. They were supportive of the blood libel. I mean, this is a hugely anti-Semitic organization that promotes and supports violence against Jewish people. You don't see this being discussed in the mainstream media. Why is that? Because there is a real... I do think that there's a real fear within the media of alienating the far left. You know, the media is in the pocket for the left. They're there for the Democrats. They know what their mission is, but they actually genuinely fear reporting on anti-Semitism because they're afraid of the far left. And why why would that upset the far left? Because the far left's okay with anti-Semitism. So so you're saying the media does not cover rabid anti-Semitism because they're afraid of alienating anti-Semites among their rank. Absolutely. That I mean, that that is incredible. And then at the same time, you have this tweet that the, that the media is calling anti-Semitic. This tweet from Trump. Tell me if you guys think this tweet is anti-Semitic. Henry Ford would be very disappointed if he saw his modern-day descendants wanting to build a much more expensive car that is far less safe and doesn't work as well because execs don't want to fight California regulators. And they're saying that's anti-Semitic. You kind of lost me when you were talking about Henry Ford. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I don't think... I mean, if I saw that tweet, that there's nothing in there that would cue to me anti-Semitism. Uh, what I think is anti-Semitic is the BDS movement that's being supported and pushed by Ilan Omar and Rashida Talab. And I think Katie Pavlich at Town Hall made a great point. So because Omar and Talab, they weren't, uh, they were sort of barred from entry into Israel initially, right? 
And in order to, the grounds of that barring was because they were supporters of the BDS movement. Right before they came to, or right before their trip to Israel, their planned trip, they actually put forth legislation in support of BDS. So this was very calculated. They knew exactly what they were doing. They wanted this to be an issue. They wanted to bring attention to themselves. And the reality is, is why should Israel let people in that think that who, it should not exist? Who want to boycott exist? it. Yes, who sh- shouldn't think it should exist. So, so BDS movement, for people who don't exactly know what it is, it's basically a movement to basically boycott anything coming out of Israel. So you basically squash their business right. and hurt the country. Right. And it's reminiscent of what happened in Nazi Germany. Right. So why, you know, this is something that deeply troubles me when I think about 1930s, Nazi Germany, the image of Jewish professors being kicked off of German university campuses. That is the same image that the BDS movement would like to recreate in the United States under the auspices or on the basis of an Israeli passport. If a Jewish professor has an Israeli passport, they don't want American universities working with him. So this, this is to me is exactly sort of the same rhetoric that we saw coming out of Nazi Germany in the 30s, this idea of economically isolating the Jews, making sure that making it impossible for them to find work, making it impossible for them to engage in society in a normal fashion. Uh, That to me is at the basis of the BDS movement. If you swapped out a lot of the language that BDS activists use in regards to Israel and put the word Jew in, you would see it's really similar to the language that Nazis use in the 30s and 40s. Yeah. Yeah. And, And this is fashionable on the left. And yet they're looking at tweets from Donald Trump and bad phrasing from Donald Trump and saying that he is the anti-Semite, despite what he's done for Israel and despite his relationship with Netanyahu and despite everything that he said, his family. I mean, you look at all of his uh, his relationship with Israel is is fantastic. And right. So they're out counting that. They're not counting that. And instead they're saying um, because he sent a tweet out about Henry Ford. That he's an anti-Semite. I, you know what? I'm not even sure where to comment on the Henry Ford tweet because it's almost like <laughs> I don't even I don't know where. There's nothing there for me to like work with because right. it's so it's, it's just outlandish. So out there. I, they said it's because Henry Ford uh, ha- has an anti-Semitic past, and so yeah. therefore Donald Trump talking about him at a time where the media has manufactured this outrage where they're calling him an anti-Semite is is bad timing. So that, Omar's tweet in 2014 about Israel hypnotizing the world not a dog whistle. But Trump right. talking about Henry Ford, dog whistle. Dog whistle, correct. Okay. I, think you've got I just it. want to I make sure I understand it. the spectrum that we're working with here. I, I okay. think we've got it. You know, you look at the numbers of, of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She was actually not elected by uh, a ton of people. There was really not a lot of turnout in her district. Um, and I think a lot of people are struggling with the issue of whether or not this far left fringe of the Democrat Party is actually representative of the uh, party as a whole and as, as, as Democrat voters. I mean, I'd like to think they aren't representative. I'd like to think that they just happen to be the loudest and they get the most media coverage and they're the most amplified on Twitter. And I also think the media is farther left than the American public. And so when we look at what the media is choosing to focus on, they're choosing to focus on more progressives because they themselves are progressive. But I don't think the media is a reflection of the Democratic Party necessarily right. or where the public is. Because you've got the media and then you've got Twitter, which right. is just a small po- right. a small portion of the population. Yeah. So do you think Biden then clinches the nomination? I mean, that's what... So my prediction was a Biden-Harris ticket of some kind. I've heard that Harris is very eloquent. I've heard that she's someone that people really engage with. Biden is not eloquent. <laughs> to say the least. So I think that they sort of might be a good balance to each other. Um, but I do think that that would be a really strong ticket for the Democrats, and I think it would actually be really tough for Trump to contend with it. I do think he will win 2020, but I think it'll be tough. I, I, I think that's right. I, I think there's going to be some Warren in there, though. I mean, you see she's doing very well in Iowa. Um, 
And that would be scary because Kamala is not as radical as Warren. Right. I mean, Warren is out there and she is and she's smart. Right. I think. And that's that's a problem. I think. But Warren is very abrasive and I don't think she's a very good public speaker. I think as someone who's from Massachusetts, I've like I've, you know, been in scenarios where I've watched a lot of Warren speeches. Right. I think she lacks a certain warmth, um, and I don't mean like, oh, women need to be warm. I mean, in general, I just don't. I <laughs> you don't. don't think, you don't think her sitting there with a beer and saying, "I'm going to get me a beer," she's with awkward, no authenticity right? is, is warm. She's awkward. What are you so that's about? what Harris, I think, has over her. I've heard that Harris is someone who connects with people pretty well, and so when it comes to comparing her to Warren, I think that that's going to be an issue. And again, I don't think Warren is as strong of a public speaker as Harris, and so. It'll be it'll be interesting. I also think Warren's just like very out there. Like yeah, in terms of yeah. people, when we talk about where the the left is, and in terms of um, whether they're farther left than we think they are, I don't think they're far enough left to nominate Warren. As I tell people, the Democrats want to beat Trump and they want to nominate a progressive, but they can't have both. All very valid points. Thank you, Ariel. A reminder to everyone: I'd really appreciate it if you'd please rate, review, and subscribe to the White House Brief podcast. It will make sure the truth rises above all the other stuff out there. So please rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening.